Thursday, September 27th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hillen. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor Joe Tenebruso and from Fool.com Financial Editor Austin Smith. Gentlemen, happy, happy Thursday. Happy hey, Thursday Chris. to you. Uh, we're going to wrap up the week uh, with the Fool mailbag, but uh, there is one news item we have to hit, and that is consolidation in an industry that I don't think we've ever talked about on Market Foolery, and that is, of course, the mattress industry. Tempur-Pedic announced it is buying Sealy for about $230 million in cash. Uh, and Austin, I'm guessing that Wall Street likes this deal because shares of Tempur-Pedic up more than 16% earlier today. What do you think? Uh, well, I mean, I think Tempur-Pedic definitely needed a rebound after what happened earlier this year. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> to, for context, uh, it was about six months ago the stock was trading in the high 80s, and now it's around 30. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think kind of what's happened is when you get a, a sleeper industry like this, oh, oh, so bad it had to be done. Um, t- Tempur-Pedic got really cheap earlier this year when they fell down. And, and even after this pop, they're still trading for about 10 times earnings, uh, about uh, eight times cash flow. So it's actually a pretty cheap company, a reasonable balance sheet. I wouldn't call it the healthiest in the world. But I think when when the floor fell up from underneath them, they became cheap. And this just sort of brought a lot of attention back to them. And people probably realized, oh, well, this company's still hanging around there. And they're actually at a fair price. So probably unlocked a lot of that value that just had been sitting there latent for a few months after they got hit so hard. Well, and Joe, and we, we've certainly seen in the technology industry anyway, and I suppose this happens in all industries, but it, it seems like it happens a lot more frequently in the technology industry, that there are companies that just make bad acquisitions. But this seems like one of those times where it's like, hey, anytime you can buy out a rival, sure, that's mm-hmm. got to help you in the long run, doesn't it? Yeah, this this one makes sense to me, because um, you know, Tempur-Pedic's been facing increased competition in his industry, and this deal is going to give it some advantages, mainly scale advantages. Um, it's also going to boost its distribution network, and it's going to give uh, Tempur-Pedic the op- opportunity to kind of move down market. It's going to have products now at multiple price points, and so I think that's going to help it um, versus this competition. Um, Austin, you mentioned that the stock, you think Tempur-Pedic is cheap, even with this bump up today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the company's pretty cheap. It doesn't have the most inspiring growth uh, trajectories ahead of it, but I, I actually kind of like this segment a lot. It's what it's a... Um, e-tailing resistance segment. People still want to purchase mattresses in per- in person. It's a high-ticket item with high margins. Um, so I like that. It's you're, You insulate yourselves from the Amazons of the world, which is yeah. great. I, I mean, I, I love Amazon, but I'm not, bu- I'm not buying a mattress off of Amazon. No, no, not at all. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say they're the best, most appealing company in this space. Uh, mattress firm holding company is, they're trading for about 20 times earnings, but they have far, far more um, impressive growth trajectory. So I think Tempur-Pedia's Tempur-Pedic is a cheap company. Um, I don't think they're a bad bet, but I actually like Mattress Firm holding a little bit better. What Obviously, even when an acquisition goes well, there are still bumps that need to be dealt with, uh, obviously, when you're, when you're uh, dealing with new operations and, and merging the two companies. Um, what is one thing uh, for folks to watch when it comes to Tempur-Pedic? Well, you know, with this buyout, they're buying out another, uh, you know, top-tier premium product here, and you got to, um, you know, make sure they're able to manage both brands well and not cannibalize each other. They're two very different mattress products, but at that price point, you have to expect a lot of people are going to be cross-shopping. So, um, being able to continue, uh, you know, to, to grow both without cannibalizing one or the other will probably be difficult, but if they can manage it, it'll be a win for them for sure, especially on the scale advantages that you mentioned earlier. Do you think they take Sealy's 
ticker symbol? Because Tempur-Pedic's is TPX, <laughs> but Sealy's is ZZ. And that's for a mattress company. That's pretty good. I'm yeah. hoping they switch over. That's, that's, just, that's about as good as a vanity plate as you can get. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can always email us. Radio at fool.com is the way to get a hold of us. And uh, we'll dig into a few email now. Uh, one from John in Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada. Uh, a while ago, you had a chat about stock splits. One point you did not mention is that a high stock price does not work well for drips, uh, but when it splits, many investors may now hit the price to work with their drip. We'll dig into drips in a minute, uh, Joe, but first, uh, for, for new listeners out there, um, what is your take on stock splits? Well, I, I think it's important to understand that a stock split doesn't change the value of a company or the value of your holdings. Um, so, for example, if you have one share of a $10 stock and it splits two for one, you'll simply have two shares of a $5 stock. So another way to think about it is it's really along the lines of trading one dime for two nickels. You know, you still have the same amount of money. Um, but what it can do is make a very high dollar stock more affordable for average investors. So, for instance, Apple is at about $670 per share. If that were to split 10 for one, you know, it would drop the price down to $67. So it, it can help in that regard by bringing a new class of investors into the stock. Um, and probably the biggest impact is that the stock split have a tendency to change people's perception of value. So again, sticking with the Apple uh, example, if that were split 10 for one and you know it, the stock price goes to $67 a share, a lot of probably, I guess, less experienced investors will automatically assume that the stock is cheaper. And you know we've already explained that the value itself doesn't change. Right. The valuation is not cheaper. But people's perception of that value changes. And so typically it does have a way of bringing um, a higher PE multiple into the stock because more investors buy shares after that happens. Uh, Austin, for those who may not be familiar with uh, drips, because uh, uh, frankly, I don't think we've ever talked about them before. What uh, th this is, a, this is a way that you invest. Could, mm -hmm. could you just give sort of a drip one hundred and one for our listeners? Yeah, it, it is the dividend reinvestment program, and it, it's, in my opinion, one of the most powerful wealth multipliers out there. Because what it does is it takes your decision out of the equation. You get your dividends from a company, and rather than taking them as cash and then having to figure out how to spend them, and then you know having it eroded by inflation, you just reinvest it in the stock. And typically, the income we're getting from our dividends is relatively nominal. Um, so it's nice to just reinvest it in, in, the, in the stock. But over the long run, it becomes enormously powerful. If you look at the return of the S&P 500 over the long run, you know, just as a you know, pure return, then dividend reinvested return, it, it's orders of magnitude more powerful. And, and that's true of, of the individual equities well, in, underlying as well. And I think to John's email, um, there may be companies out there that, uh, that you can only buy whole shares of, but I think the majority of companies you can buy partial shares. So, mm -hmm. using Joe's example again, I mean, if you if you if you have a dividend because now Apple pays a dividend, and the dividend is a hundred dollars, you know, you can buy one sixth or one seventh of mm -hmm. a share of of Apple, right? With that, uh, yeah. ab absolutely. And, and to the reader's question, I just checked my portfolio online. I own shares of Apple, and it's an expensive stock, about seven hundred bucks a share now. And I, I own fractional shares because of that dividend reinvestment, and that's the same with with high, um, you know, seemingly expensive individual stocks like. Priceline, MasterCard, Apple, and Google. Um, as far as I'm aware, you can buy fractional shares, or, or at least that's what my portfolio is telling me I own. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't think a stock split actually influences the, a dividend reinvestment program in any way either. Yeah, and Chris, just one more point, if I can, real quick. I, I would not buy a stock simply because it was about to split. Um, you know, even if you do see that PE expansion, yep. it, it typically can be very short term. 
and you know it ultimately it's the value of the company it's its prospects going forward that matters not how many shares you have although i totally understand why people feel that way just just on a gut level when you hear like oh it's going to split two for one there's just something about sure. I'm automatically going to have twice as many shares. That's just at a, at a gut level pretty appealing. It's just kind of you get free nature. stuff. It's fun. Yeah. It's free <laughs> it's stuff. Awesome. Uh, John goes on to write, I would love to hear your guys discuss what the BlackBerry 10 will need to get research in motion back on track in the planned January launch. Uh, okay, my guys. Uh, what, what does the BlackBerry 10 need? It, to be wrapped in $100 bills. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know that they can even come back from this. They're, uh, they've reached a tipping point on the bad side, right? Yeah. Where they're, they're just, they don't have an ecosystem to convince people to buy their product. You've got Apple and Google continuing to run away with OS market share. Um, and as they continue to, to run away with it, there's less reason to go for Nokia and RIM, particularly RIM. Um, I, I actually don't know that there's anything they can do. They can put out an incredible product and people still won't buy it. Joe, what do you think? I, I mean, we talked yeah. yesterday about how... Uh, Yahoo CEO Marissa Mayer, one of her things to boost morale at Yahoo was to offer all of the employees a new smartphone, and they could take their pick of just about anything except a BlackBerry because Yahoo was canceling its tech contract with BlackBerry. We're actually doing the same thing here at The Motley Fool. Our producer, Matt Creer, is the lone holdout. I mean, we're obviously a much smaller company. We have about 250 employees. Mac is the, the last man standing with a BlackBerry. The, the uh, Smithsonian's actually called him to put it on exhibit. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> he's holding out for a better price, though. Yeah, I, I agree with Austin completely. You know, when companies stop supporting your device, that's a very bad sign. And research in motion is losing in the consumer segment. Austin kind of touched on that. Apple and Android have over 80% market share. On the enterprise segment, you know, just about every Fortune 500 company is testing and deploying the iPad and iPhone. And now you have Microsoft entering the market with its Windows-based phones and tablets. And I, I think RIM just is not in a position to compete at this point with those three companies. I, I would also point out that their timing is awful. I mean, we, we've known RIM to be, you know, sort of the more business side of the the, um, the mobile space realm. But, and obviously, those companies are testing with Apple, as Joe mentioned. But on the consumer end, the iPhone 5 just launched, right? right. There, there are 2 million people the first weekend. Or was it more than that? It was, it was, it was, uh, it was 5 million. 2 million the first day yeah, upgraded the, to the an pre-orders. iPhone 5. So those are... That's, uh, there's millions of people out there who are now locked into a two-year contract, and they're not going to trade that or break it for BlackBerry's new new phone. Yeah, it's a good point. And, you know, ultimately, I think it comes down to the ecosystem. Apple has a dominant ecosystem right now. iTunes. Uh, yeah, across platforms. Uh, Android has another great ecosystem. Microsoft is attempting to build one. Research in Motion just doesn't really have one at this point. Email from John Schufelt in Saskatchewan, Canada. We're, we must be huge in Canada. We've got dozens of listeners, and at least one dozen are in, in Canada. Um, uh, he wrote to us about uh, insider uh, stock selling, and in particular, uh, Bill Gates at Microsoft. Uh, John writes, I see that Bill Gates is selling millions of shares each month and still holds 460 million shares. This selling has got to be a significant headwind to Microsoft share appreciation. Do you have an opinion about Microsoft shares ahead of their tablet release, plus Windows 8 penetration into the business environment? There's a lot to chew on there. Joe, what do you think? I'll jump in on the insider selling. You know, insiders sell for a lot of reasons, and often insider buying is a, is a stronger signal. 
because um, usually insiders only buy when they feel that the stock is going up. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the case of Microsoft, I believe Bill Gates is on a set program where he's selling shares every month to basically diversify his assets. So I wouldn't be too concerned there. Um, Microsoft is obviously a mega cap company. I think it has like 38 million shares traded daily. So uh, Gates is selling shouldn't impact the price of the stock. Uh, Austin, any thoughts uh, in advance of the, the, the tablet release? Uh, on Microsoft as a company, uh, they're very, very cheap. You know, it's a company that I, I frequently call The stock is cheap. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I've gone, yeah, uh, after they split. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've, I've gone back and forth on whether or not to buy the company. And ultimately, I always fall on the side of no, because there's just no big catalyst for Microsoft. And this may be seen as a catalyst, but the problem is Microsoft has a really bad history of, of operating or of executing on these um, potential big wins. You know, their, their OS launches um, with, with Vista and Windows 7, um, not as big as they could have been. And, and basically, everything else Microsoft has tried has, has never has basically never lived up to the hype. So I think the company is very cheap for a reason. I think they will probably always perpetually be cheap. It'll be a, a dividend pair in the tech space. Um, I, I'm not too excited about shares. So I'd much rather buy uh, greatness and go with Google or Apple instead. Uh, on Tuesday, uh, the we had Worldwide Invest Better Day. Uh, and as part of that, uh, Motley Fool Asset Management had their semi-annual conference call, which I hosted. And one of the topics that came up was capital allocation and how management, and in particular CEOs, how they allocate capital and what that says to investors, what that says to folks like you guys in terms of how good are these people at their jobs. Sticking strictly with Microsoft, when you look at Steve Ballmer, the CEO, what grade would you give him in terms of how he allocates that company's capital? Because Microsoft makes a ton of money, but and I can say this because I'm a longtime shareholder, I don't think they do the greatest job of allocating capital, but you guys are the analysts. What do you think, Joe? No, I agree with you, Chris, uh, because we've seen Microsoft have kind of massive write-downs in terms of acquisitions that they made in the past that have just not worked out. And I think it's a sign that they can't compete so much uh, organically in a lot of areas. So then they go out and they try and purchase a company that will allow them to compete against the Googles and Amazons and Apples of the world. And typically that doesn't work out either. So I would have to say poor at this point. You agree with that? I would absolutely say poor. I mean, their their nine billion dollar acquisition of Skype being the the perfect ex- case study of this. And thanks for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and a slew of other things. I mean, on on a much smaller level, they recently you know hitched up with Barnes and Noble in, in the tablet space. And a very small bet in terms of absolute dollars. So right. it, it's hard to knock them for it. But still, if you're going to try and you know get a partner in the tablet space, why Barnes and Noble? Why not just make your own, right? If you're going to come up with a Surface tablet, which is obviously in production at that point anyway, yep. why even throw money in that hole? Keep the emails coming. Radio at full.com is the way to get a hold of us. And uh, on a uh, on a more company-specific note, our company, uh, we are already looking for interns for the summer of 2013. So if you're a young person, if you're in college and you're looking to intern, or you know someone in college who might be uh, a good fit uh, here at The Motley Fool, you can find more information at our uh, culture blog, which is just culture.fool.com. We are looking for interns 2013. Joe? Chris, interns are awesome. I've had the privilege of working with a few of them recently, and it's been a blast. We had a really strong batch of uh, in, the, in the analyst group this sure. past summer. Yeah, and you know, it can lead to uh, employment at the full, which is you know definitely an incentive for our interns. I just want to hit on one more thing on insider selling, oh, uh, okay. too, because I don't want to dismiss it completely. So if I were to see uh, kind of insider selling in mass, you know, seeing insiders sell large percentages of their holdings all at one time, 
particularly if the stock was near its lows, that would definitely be a red flag. So that's something to keep an eye out for. All right. Joe Tanabruso, Austin Smith. Guys, thanks for being here. My pleasure. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Fooler. Our producer is the lone BlackBerry owner himself, Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you on Monday. Monday.